Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Welcome to the Great Women in Compliance Podcast with Lisa Fine and Mary Shirley. I'm Mary Shirley, and today we're speaking with Barbara Beeler, Director of Programming at Compliance Week. Welcome, Barbara. Thank you so much, Mary. Thank you for inviting me. I have to say I'm so impressed with what you and Lisa have built with the Great Women in Compliance um, podcast, and it's an absolute honor to be with you today. Oh, thank you for your kind words, Barbara. That really made me happy. Barbara, you've had an interesting career from lawyer to compliance professional to now organizing Compliance Week conferences. Tell us more about your background. Yes. Um, So I have worked as a compliance officer um, primarily in financial services, probably about 17 years. And I was in sales practice compliance roles um, in broker-dealer firms for the most part. So maybe seven or so years ago, I started teaching compliance practice skills as an adjunct uh, here in Boston at Suffolk Law School. And I really discovered that my true passion was education um, and compliance education um, predominantly. Um, So now I still teach compliance practice skills at Suffolk Law, and I've added a financial services focused practice skills course at the new law. Um, And this um, fall, I'm going to start a Foundations of American Law in a, a class in the banking LLM program at BU. Um, so I've always been um, kind of interested in compliance, interested now in education. Um, and I have been with Compliance Week as their programming director for just about 11 months. And I have to say, I was drawn to the opportunity because it really is very much about education, developing content really by and for and about the in-house compliance officer. And and it has been, it has been a lot of fun to help out with developing that um, content. That's great. And you're such a busy bee. I'm I'm really appreciative that you have made the time to join us today and amongst um, all of these compliance commitments. I've always been in corporate compliance and wondered what it would be like on the other side of the fence in compliance for financial services firms. What are the differences between corporate compliance and financial services compliance? Well, there are a lot of similarities. Um, I I have to say the focus may be just a bit different. So in financial services, we tend to worry the most about conflicts of interest at the core of all of our issues. So for example, you know, in in gift policy and personal account dealing. Um, but for the most part, the skill set for the compliance officer is very similar across all industries. So curiosity about the business, a willingness to ask questions, the ability to collaborate with others, very strong communication skills, and as you, as you all know, a good sense of humor is, is very important. Um, <laughs> so when, when I was in-house at a financial services firm, I would go to a limited set of conferences um, you know, year over year. Um, and they were all financial services securities focused. And there's definitely value in learning how other industries handle issues though. Um, so even though um, you know other uh, programs may not be quite as mature, say as maybe a, a healthcare program or a financial services program, you know, there are always questions that we might have asked and you know asked and answered a long time ago that we haven't thought about in a while. Um, you know, compliance programs really are not all 
plotted in a straight line. Um, so it's always helpful to uh, reevaluate. Um, I think that the biggest surprise for those of us who attend our conference who have always attended um, specifically industry-focused uh, content or conferences is that um, there is no um, ROI to be determined, you know, at an industry agnostic, um, you know, conference. Um, so I, I think that that has been the, some of the biggest feedback that I've gotten anyway, kind of cross industry is I learned something that I might not have learned at, you know, a very specific industry-focused content. Right. That's a, a good point. And that's one of the reasons why I like attending industry agnostic conferences. There's always something that'll be of interest to me, um, an issue that everyone's grappling with um, at, at the same time. And it, it doesn't matter where you come from. And having that diversity of thought in the room can be really useful for thinking and about the various ways to, um, to address that issue. Yes. Um, so, from what I'm hearing from you, it, it sounds like um, with all the similarities, um, it's a little strange then perhaps that my perception of financial services is that hiring managers um, quite often um, for financial services roles tend to very strongly prefer um, people who are already in financial services compliance. But if I understand you correctly, um, perhaps it's not such a deal breaker as the um, perceptions seem to make it out to be when hiring managers are very staunch about only wanting people with financial services experience. You know, I think um, I think you're you're right. There is um, definitely a bias, and this is probably true in any industry, mm -hmm. uh, with those who have experience. And some of that is because it's it's easy. You know, they're a known quantity. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think it is. Um, you know, it's it's unfortunate if hiring managers are only looking for um, that because I think that there's so much you know that that we can go, bring to the table um, that we shouldn't always look to be hiring only ourselves um, into into these positions and and certainly you know from what I'm seeing in the conferences and, and talking to others who are in hiring positions the kinds of um, you know questions or you know thought process around um, who we need to have as a to make us a well-rounded compliance program um, mm -hmm. making more like do we need a, someone with a data science background to join our compliance right. program you know so it, it's it would be it's unfortunate um, and it's short-sighted I do think it's um, it's probably true you know that people are hiring that way but hopefully that's changing mm -hmm. Thank you. What would be your best piece of advice for succeeding as a compliance officer in financial services? So I do think it's important to um, find your community. Um, I think that um, networking is tremendously important, you know, not only um, from your, your, the personal perspective of your career, but then also um, just to be able to have someone, someone to call to, you know, to vet issues by who has sat in the same seat or has the same issues. Um, I belong to a Boston area financial services compliance group um, mm -hmm. that aspires to meet quarterly. Um, and that's incredibly um, important, I think, just to, to be able to, you know, have that um, phone a friend um, component to your, to your career. I totally agree. And if I could just do a plug for anyone in the Boston area um, who's not looking for a financial services specific and keen fit um, industry agnostic compliance networking group. Um, Matt Kelly and I run a 
um, approximately quarterly. Um, there's no specific formula. It's just when we haven't had one for a while, really. And uh, both of us are in town to, to set it up. Um, a, a compliance networking meetup as well. So please do connect with me if you're in the area, um, man or woman, and, um, and and let me know of your interest because it, I, I find it, as you say, hugely valuable to have people in the industry and just sometimes in the same geography to sit down and have a drink after work and, and chat about uh, the events of the day. Um, we also talk about... Um, um, opportunities for those who are looking at um, leaving their current roles. And yours is probably more fun. I think we offer coffee and bagel versus the cocktails and conversation. So I, that might be, I definitely want to get to that, to that one. Um, though it is BYO uh, or, or, you know, um, Dutch, but, um, you know, treat, treat yourself. Um, so, so it, it, it has that limitation. Um, I'm afraid there's a, uh, no sponsor and um, the Great Woman in Compliance podcast, unfortunately, is not a money maker. Otherwise, I'd love to do drinks for all. <laughs> <laughs> um, when I was at university, there was no such thing as a compliance class. Um, actually, come to think of it in New Zealand, there probably still isn't such a thing. Um, you're, as, you now, um, as you mentioned before, you're now an adjunct professor at Suffolk Law School here in Boston teaching compliance. What makes up your curriculum? So um, I think I probably graduated a, a long time before you did. So certainly there was, <laughs> there was no compliance class when I was in law school. Um, but the tremendous growth in compliance as a, a career and a, a discipline has really given rise to um, any number of compliance courses and programs in law schools and business schools now. And the law school certainly view compliance as a JD advantaged position. Okay. So while a JD isn't required, um, it's definitely right. a nice to have. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, as you move up the the ladder to more of the more of the C suite, um, my course at Suffolk is industry agnostic. So I focus on the elements of a compliance program set out by the U.S. Sentencing Guidelines. And because of my background, I. I fully am aware that I have a financial services bias, so I try to fill in um, some of those gaps with guest speakers like yourself um, and try to offer a bit of an introduction to um, the compliance community and students. And um, so my students tend to sign up for the class um, because they either have an interest in healthcare compliance, an interest in financial services compliance, or they don't know what compliance is and it fit in their schedule. Um, and so student, students tend to be, um, I do have to say now though, I think more than before, students are very pragmatic. Um, they, they know they need to get a job after graduation. Um, they know that there has, or they're hearing that there is a lot of opportunity in compliance work. Um, so a big motivator is that, you know, there are not as many traditional law jobs as there used to be. Um, and, you know, compliance offers a career that has a lot of balance. It can be very rich and fulfilling, but they just need a little bit of guidance in terms of understanding what truly the job is um, and what the opportunities are that are out there. Because um, there's there's so many different um, you know, so many different industries, so many different ways of practicing in compliance, and so it's really being able to offer um, that sort of bridge to students. Right. And if any of our listeners are interested in teaching compliance part-time like you do on top of their day job, how would you suggest they go about looking for such opportunities? Well, I think 
it, it may be helpful um, just to start volunteering. Um, it's always easier to go to your alma mater. Um, so you may uh, kind of go back to your law school or back to your business school um, and see what opportunities are available to be able to um, meet with students. Um, you could offer to, to meet with students one-on-one -on -one even um, as a start. And if you have a connection with your career services office, I have to say I do that often. Um, and I'm probably called upon you know, at least once a month um, with, a, with a student who has an interest in compliance and just wants to, to have an informational interview. Um, you know, but you could also offer to develop a course if you see that there is no compliance course at your alma mater. Um, also, I have a, a shameless plug for speaking at conferences. Um, if you do have an interest in teaching and presenting, um, speaking at conferences, I think, is a nice way to start out. Um, I think a lot of us in compliance are maybe uh, teachers at heart. Certainly, we're training all the time on our compliance programs. And I am always looking for those who are interested in speaking. Um, and I'd be happy to speak to any of your listeners who had an interest either in teaching um, to give them some sense of the, the commitment. Um, and then also if they have an interest in speaking, certainly. Fantastic. Thank you for offering that. And um, that was a really nice segue into what I wanted to ask next. I would pres presume that uh, being a lecturer um, has uh, really helped you to hone and develop your training uh, skills as a compliance officer. How do you think lecturing has otherwise furthered your own capabilities as a compliance officer? Well, it, it's funny, although I was a compliance officer for a long time, I'm not technically a compliance officer right. at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> so for me, it's it's really a great way to keep current um, and, and it does help to inform my day job. Um, you know, and, and I think that my um, compliance programming as well as the teaching opportunities kind of complement each other. Um, it also forces me to, to rethink areas that I might have taken for granted. Um, the law school students that I speak to, especially at, at Suffolk, um, the BU student, the BU class is online. So it's a much different feel. Right. Uh, my class at Suffolk is um, a small class of 20 night students who have been at um, a job all day long. And, you know, when they, when they come in and we start to talk about something because I'm standing up there and I say, so is not a viable answer to any question that they might have. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so it really does um, kind of force you to be able to, you know, support your points um, and try to make compliance interesting and have it be um, a dialogue rather than have it just be me lecturing to students because no one wants to hear that. And I don't want to hear that. So um, oh, so, yeah. I'd want to hear that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, it, it's good. It, it contributes to the conversation. Yeah. Um, and um, you must have some really interesting perspectives working for Compliance Week and getting a bird's eye view um, of compliance in that role. What are some of the hot compliance topics that chief compliance officers want to know more about at the moment? I have to say that is probably the most fun part of my job. Um, most of my day at Compliance Week is speaking to compliance officers about what they're interested in, um, all towards the, the end of um, trying to come up with a, an interesting program for them. Um, so our attendees tend to be um, on the more experienced end of the spectrum um, and our, our speakers certainly. Um, so the topics that tend to resonate with them um, you know, are those that 
um, give them something to take away, um, you know, that they can kind of try out at home. Um, the really sort of practical uh, conversations. Um, it's the, um, you know, the, the more sort of meat and potatoes areas of compliance, training, testing, you know, um, the things that you would expect. Um, but there's often, um, or there has been anyway, a twist in the point of view or a, some treatment, I guess, if, if you would say that would make them particularly compelling. Um, so at this past annual conference, certainly we had, you know, training, we had testing um, as um, foundational um, topics, but there was a twist and it would be a focus on training and data analytics. Um, and actually data analytics was, you know, a, a huge area. Right. Um, and yeah. Yes, um, and, and a lot of um, a lot of interest in that. Um, everyone has a concern right now about privacy, um, not only GDPR but the implication of the new state rules, you know, CCPA in, in California. Um, and we found that you know the topics that were maybe a little bit out of the ordinary um, were uh, we had standing room. So there was a session on cannabis compliance that people right. were kind of standing in the back. And, you know, maybe this is not something that is going to impact their um, compliance practice on a daily basis, um, but it's something that they feel like they need to, to know about to be well-informed um, so that if something does come up, they're, they're kind of ready for it. Um, right now, um, one of the biggest areas um, that we're seeing people interested in is um, third-party vendor risk management or vendor risk management. Um, mm -hmm. So we've run a conference in March for the last um, seven years in New York. And just this last uh, March, it was, um, it was oversold. It was from, a, from an attendee perspective and also even from a sponsorship perspective, we were sort of turning people away. And so to, to my mind, um, just cost industry, that's a really hot area. And, and so we've added another um, third-party vendor risk management um, in San Francisco that will be holding in December. Wonderful. And um, that cannabis um, session, um, I had a really good takeaway from that as an attendee, and, and it wasn't um, substantive, the one I'm going to mention, although I certainly did end up having substantive takeaways. But that is that uh, I think it's really important to keep an open mind and when you're attending a conference as to what types of um, subject matters and topics may be either of interest to you or applicable in your day-to-day -day work. And if I'm to be completely frank about it, the, the reason why I chose to attend uh, that particular session was to support um, a friend of mine, um, Chris Robidoux, who was speaking on that panel. And it was only once I got in there, as you mentioned, the uh, standing room only session, that there were um, some aspects that I hadn't sort of considered right off the bat. Um, you know, why would cannabis compliance be important to me? Um, you know, in Canada, where Chris is from, I've had to deal with it um, as more of a priority um, with the, the state of their legislation and uh, the legality of, of um, uh, consuming cannabis out there. And um, additionally, there are very compliance-related um, thought considerations of, well, how do you um, how, how do you assimilate um, this new kind of um, 
almost socially acceptable or at least uh, lawful practice into your workplace and how does that change your policies? What do you need to think about? Are you going to treat it uh, in the exact same way as you treat alcohol um, and therefore um, what tweaks are you going to have to make to your existing policies and procedures? So um, I went from being um, what I hope was a great woman in compliance in terms of wanting to uh, head to that session purely to support a friend and have a friendly face in the audience for her and completely being um, riveted by how interesting that session was and um, how applicable it could be for my future as a compliance officer. And then, of course, for those of you who are um, sitting in, in other countries, um, the United States is um, developing um, its cannabis laws. Um, and, of course, um, what often follows is that the rest of the world uh, starts to, to do things as well. And so if I'm working again um, in New Zealand in the future, which I, of course, hope to do, it's my home country, um, it, this may not feel like something that's an imminent consideration for, for us at the moment, but it, it should be for my future. So um, that was my takeaway that, um, one, um, you know, having good intent to, to do something may lead you down um, a collateral interest path. And so please, if you're attending a conference, don't just think about what you're doing in your current day-to-day -day job, but also consider um, what might be interesting generally and what might impact your work further down the track, even if it doesn't right now. That, that's um, great to hear. And I, I have to say we had um, similar um, comments from, you know, maybe some folks who had only ever attended, you know, financial services conferences, and this was their first industry agnostic conference. And so they were able to sit into um, or sit and listen to more thematic kind of the big questions of compliance mm -hmm. and maybe learn how someone with maybe a fairly new compliance program was dealing with a, an issue that was new to them. Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, and the feedback was, I didn't candidly think I was going to learn as much as I learned. Um, so from now on, I'm going to make it, you know, kind of part of my compliance budget to try to, to branch out a little bit. And we were able to do this. I mean, you're uniquely able to do that, I think, when it is industry agnostic, just because yeah. when we're developing sessions, anything that is interesting is for me. You know, it's, it's not right. that you have to stick within a particular um, regulatory regime. So um, if it's interesting to, to the, you know, the speaker um, and they're passionate about it, I'm, I'm totally open to developing um, content around it. Sounds good. Um, so um, continue along, sorry, continuing along um, this uh, type of questioning, um, I know that you get a lot of feedback after conferences about uh, the not only the program, but the speakers themselves. So for our listeners who are looking to be um, polished and popular speakers, what are some of the characteristics that make someone um, especially popular as a public speaker in the compliance realm? And what do you look for when selecting good speakers? Well, I think um, that, that passion is very important. So, you know, and it's kind of probably a healthy mix of passion and, and pragmatism. Um, so you definitely want a speaker who has an interest in that topic, who has a passion for compliance. Um, and, and I think that your listeners probably understand this, you know, more than anyone else. And so the words passion and compliance don't <laughs> sound crazy together. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the pragmatism really, um, because one of the biggest aspects of attending a compliance conference 
is the ability to hear about another program, um, to have real actionable takeaways, what worked, what didn't work, you know, um, and, and, and take with them a list of things that they might be able to try at home. Um, so that that's part of it too. I mean, there are so many conferences that people can attend now. Um, so you wanted to be able to offer this balance of um, education, um, practical action items, um, as well as, you know, peer-to-peer networking. Um, and, am I a, and I am always looking for speakers. So I hope that your listeners will reach out if they have an interest in joining us at, you know, Compliance Week's annual conference next year or um, any of the Compliance Week conferences or shame, another shameless plug, if they just have an interest in joining me in class, I'm happy to have them there too. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to give um, your listeners who have an interest in speaking in the forum. Great. And so if um, I um, understand you correctly, Barbara, if you're looking to put yourself forward for conferences, um, it would be um, appealing if you were able to um, present um, proposals for topics such as case studies, success stories, or lessons learned. Would that be fair to say? Absolutely. I think um, I think those are always good, um, you know, practical, um, you know, the action type items to be able to take away. Um, and so we will, I think in the fall, we'll have our, our call for speakers. Um, however, if, if anyone is interested in speaking, you know, Apart from that, I'm happy to talk to them too. Um, so usually it's a mixture of um, content that's developed from our call to speakers and then also content that we um, have an interest in kind of in-house or could be potentially driven out of the interest of our um, of our readers and subscribers. You know, so I will work closely with um, our editor-in-chief, Dave Leeport, uh, to make sure that, you know, if, if a particular you know, article resonated well with readers that we reflect that in our content. Okay, great. Well, that's all we have time for today, Barbara. Thank you so much for um, joining us on the um, Great Women Compliance podcast. We're very happy to have you and thank you for your contribution to the future of compliance looking after our students. Thank you so much, Mary. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Barbara. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.